2: Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now, here's your host, Cheryl Esposito.
3: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, we have a very special guest with us, a very good friend of mine, Dr. Christine Hibbard. Christine is an educator, a clinical psychologist, and a psychophysiologist. We're going to learn more about that. She has spent the last 10 years teaching and working with post-war trauma in Kosovo, Israel, Syria, and Uganda. She's a co-founder of the Uganda Kizitsi Malaria Project. I think I pronounced that right. And she's a faculty member at the University of Colorado Medical School bringing medical students to do field work in Africa. Christine, welcome to the show.
4: Well, thank you, Cheryl.
3: Well, you know, I had to be very selective about what I said about you because I could have gone on and on and on. You have quite the history and quite the involvement that that spans um, a whole lot of of experiences from the practical to the traumatic to the spiritual i mean you're you're just a fascinating woman and we're really happy to have you here today
4: well i'm delighted to be in this conversation with you so where are you today chris uh physically yeah i'm in boulder colorado oh
3: (laughs) what's it like in boulder today
4: well, you know, it's a little cloudy. Um, we might be getting a storm from the Arctic, but we had 60 degrees all weekend and oh, bright, boy. sunny skies. It's, it's a wonderful place to, uh, to call home. Hmm,
3: it sure is.
4: So let's
3: talk a bit about um, this work that you do that you know, I think most people may not know a whole lot about, um, psychophysiology. Tell us what that is.
4: Well, you know, it's wor- it's it's basically looking at um, uh, you know empowering uh, people uh, when they they realize that they can uh, learn to to change their own physiology. It's mm-hmm. uh, this is such empowering work, and um, for thirty years now, I have been uh, uh, working with. A wellness program in our medical center that my husband and I co-founded, and in that program, um, we do biofeedback with stress management, and people Mm -hmm. learn how to control some aspect of their own physiology. Mm -hmm. So this information uh, about some part of their body um, is it gets uh, amplified. by the body's electrical signals, and these electrical impulses then come from, like muscle contraction and skin sweatiness. Mm-hmm. So then we can get information um, that's given to the uh, the patient and to myself by an auditory tone, and uh, they learn very very quickly how to voluntarily regulate their own physiological functions. Well,
3: that's fascinating. So, you know, biofeedback has been around for a really long time. My guess is that the technology has become so much more sensitive and um,
4: probably has enhanced the effectiveness. Is that true? Yes, it, it has. And, um, you know, the efficacy of biofeedback in the early days, <clears throat> we had to work with the um, insurance companies to, uh, you know, let them know how, how um, plausible uh, and effective this work was, and now um, they disbelieve it, you know, so right. most insurance mm-hmm. will pay for this uh, alternative work, and it, it's such a help to people. I don't think I'd ever give it up at our, at our clinic uh, or overseas working. So, uh, talk about the kinds of things this could work
3: on. So, I've heard that it helps in regulating blood pressure, for instance. And mm-hmm. um, it, it, is it the kind of thing that can reverse disease? It, you know, if someone has some sort of diagnosis of, um, you know, I don't know, cancer or heart disease or something like that, it,
4: can it affect that? Well, I work. You know, I've worked for 30 years with uh, with Cancer with heart disease, and so, you know, mostly in terms of cancer, there's imagery work uh, in that's involved, and uh, people learn to uh, deeply, deeply relax uh, just by controlling their mind Hmm. um, with autogenic phrases, Hmm. and this is very empowering. for healing, to relax, and then to be able to do your imagery work um, to help, uh, you know, uh, decrease the the number of cancer cells that are in the body. So there have been studies that uh, show the efficacy of this. Now, of course, it depends on the individual and, and sure. uh, you know how uh, how willing they are to to work with this. So this. Um, it, Somehow,
3: I'm imagining that you know this background um, for you has informed some of your work that you do um, around post-war trauma. You know, this really fascinates me. Um, talk to us about what led you to want to do work in um, areas of the world where people. Were traumatized by the types of violence and war they had experienced.
4: Mm. Well, that's interesting because, <clears throat> just given my my field uh, in um, psychotherapy, I you know I, I started out in my twenties as a biologist, and then after working uh, as a biologist for a decade, I. Um, really got turned on to alternative uh, health care, and that's when I went back to get a um, doctorate in clinical psychology. Mm. And after completing that, uh, I, I, I really feel, you know, it came from being uh, as a child. I just grew up with a real deep sense of the value of service, and that mainly comes from watching and listening to my mother.
3: Mm. and
4: she taught us children that you know it wasn't just enough to be happy in life uh she wanted that for us but mm. but to have a sense of responsibility to give back through service to others and um you know i i have raised my own children to uh to value that as well um you know and even at 96 my mother's still serving in ways that she can really mm-hmm. yes <laughs> She just gave a pep talk to uh, my sister's homeless project, so <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, anybody can serve, and, and uh, <laughs> we all have a unique part to play. so:
3: Well, you know, uh, I,
4: I find that fascinating.
3: Um, people who come from families where um, one of the core values is service to others, or doing what you can um, for others, you know, beyond yourself. Um, you know, I find that when that is instilled in people as kids, that it's very much uh, part of their lives as adults, and yes. it's not even questioned.
4: Mm-hmm. And, and for, yeah. in, for instance, our three children are all in uh, you know nonprofit work, and uh, uh, they, you know, they they love their their work, and. Um, uh, they worked hard to get it, all three of them getting masters. And, uh, you know, so that's, I think you're absolutely right, Cheryl. Hmm.
3: So, so let's go back to what made you decide to go to places like Kosovo and Israel and Syria and Uganda. Because let's face it, there are plenty of places in the world that you could have been of service that weren't quite so intense. <laughs> so what drew you to this?
4: Well, you know, it's uh it's a very interesting question. Um the uh, over the years I had really been working working on deepening my appreciation of the sacred and the feminine values in life. And so I felt it was really no accident when Uh, Dr. Jim Gordon called me uh, to see if I wanted to join his international team. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was doing, he was starting work at that time called Healing the Wounds of War over in um, Bosnia. So he had, you know, wanted to go and serve in Kosovo. And you know, we we would be returning about every six months. Uh, it was a project that uh, I, because it was free, mm. and uh, you know, to talk about the sacred is also, I feel, to talk about the shadow. For and so, in appreciation of uh, about the sacred, then makes on you know one more vulnerable to the shadow forces in life, and uh I just feel as a modern civilization we've been neglecting uh our own heart and soul needs, and so this my soul was being called mm. so um it Kosovo was just part of my soul work, and uh even though it was very disturbing to me. It caused me to grow in so many ways, Cheryl. Um, Mm. You know, just by confronting the evil that uh, was perpetrated, say, in Yugoslavia, I realized that my own spiritual advancement wasn't, you know, was not restricted to just increasing the light in the world. Mm. I needed to increase, you know, I felt my awareness of those shadow forces with which we all must uh, wrestle at some point. And Mm. I feel that the major threats to our survival today are no longer just from nature outside, but from our own human nature within. Mm. And it's it's really our hostilities, our violence, and our ignorance that endanger the world.
3: Well, you know, it's interesting to... um Watch some of the big shifts that are happening in um, the Middle East right now. Some of it began as peaceful protest, and um, and there was a commitment to peaceful protest, um, which you know no one expected, and in fact there was success with peaceful protests. Now, in Libya, things have shifted and, um, you know, it's becoming violent or is violent. It's not even becoming. It's already violent. And, um, you know, do you think that situations like that cause a lot of trauma if it's short-lived or do you think that, um, you know, I mean, obviously the years and years in some of those places that you've worked in, the years and years of violence can only um, affect one so deeply. I mean, I don't think anybody could escape being affected by it, but do people have similar um, traumatic responses? depending on how long they've been you know exposed or involved in violence
4: absolutely absolutely the uh uh trauma uh, that one uh comes out from that type of stress um is uh very intrusive uh you know with many symptoms of PTSD um just depending upon the level of trauma that was experienced, and then also their own sense of resilience um, is a factor as well.
3: Well, what happens in a culture where there has been violence and war for so long that there are whole generations that that is all they know? They don't know what it's like not to live in fear. Mm -hmm. They accept it as their norm. What happens to generations like that?
4: Well, it gets passed on. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it gets passed on behaviorally because, unless what we what we know today from from the brain ex, uh, research going on with trauma and PTSD is that it's uh, just a simple way of expressing this is that it gets stuck in the uh, amygdala part of the brain where we have our emotions and, and fear arises. And, um, it stays in the body so that when um, mm. anything that happens that, that reminds one that's at all familiar with um, what they had experienced previously, mm. that type of trauma, the brain will respond with that kind of hyper vigilance of mm-hmm. fight or flight, you know, there's danger, right. there. and so it's rough on relationships. <laughs> I bet <laughs> with anybody. Yeah. So that's uh, that's what we're we're noticing. Well, so you know, when
3: I'm I'm thinking about some of the military um, soldiers who have you know, around the world especially US military soldiers who have been um name the place around the world in the last 50 years where um we have had war or what people call not war but you know we're there to protect etc but people come back with um ptsd that is post-traumatic stress syndrome that is not um diagnosed and not um acknowledged very well
4: right. and I, I
3: wanted to talk about this when we come back right after this message
4: okay
2: consulting, developing leaders worldwide.
0: Tune in to It's Your Money with host Bill Pfeifferlich you'll get an eye-opening education about some of the misconceptions of the financial world. If you are a business owner, working professional, or successful American, you will benefit from the information on our program. Our guests will include financial service professionals, international tax and estate attorneys, and CPAs. We'll identify solutions that you can implement now to get the most of your money. Tune in Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for It's Your Money.
2: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
3: Welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking with Christine Hibbard this morning, Dr. Christine Hibbard. And Chris, we've been talking a bit about um, biofeedback and how... In the physiology, people actually hold memory of experiences and that they can affect those memories or affect kind of the reaction one may have um, through biofeedback. And before we went to break, we started talking about the post-traumatic stress disorder, um, We've heard about it a bit because of soldiers coming back from war. Um, we've heard that it's actually not acknowledged very well, that there's probably many people walking around with PTSD who are not diagnosed and not getting any help. Um, and, of course, this affects their lives and their lives of their families when they come back. Is biofeedback something that can affect Um, or improve the state of someone who has PTSD?
4: Yes, um, just learning how to relax uh, begins to uh, counteract that sense of uh, um, hypervigilance that they go into and increased breathing, etc. And they learn how to... Uh, breathe, they learn how to control from the inside out. But what I've found that was really effective is some of the um, uh, energy medicine techniques like EMDR and energy psychology that, that tend to really get at this trauma that is in the body. So it's not just a... Uh, um, uh, you know, biofeedback alone that often um, can, can really help anybody who, who has these
3: symptoms. Well, explain to us what energy medicine and energy psychology is.
4: Well, you know, energy psychology is, is uh, new on, on the field. Energy medicine certainly has been around for a long time, but it includes, you know, all energetic and informational interactions, that results from self-regulation or brought about through other energy couplings to the mind and the body so in addition to the various therapeutic uh, energies like the biofeedback we were talking about um, there's also energy uh, pulses from the environment which influence humans in a variety of variety of ways uh, for instance the low level changes in magnetic, electric, electromagnetic, acoustic, and gravitational fields that uh, often mm. have profound effects on both the biology uh, and psychology of our, our bodies. Mm. Um, so uh, that's, and, and then energy psychology is just energy, you know, it's, it's invisible, it's the invisible foundation. For the health of your body, and in energy psychology, we stimulate the body's energies, the electrical fields, through meridian work to facilitate healing.
3: Huh? Well, is that similar to acupuncture?
4: Yes. Yes. Uh, acupuncture uses the meridian points on the mm-hmm. body, and that's you know been uh, that's been a healing. Uh, Proven field for five thousand years in, right. in, in Asia. So uh, by by working with the meridian points, say um, tapping, uh, and you know using um, uh, this this uh, field for tapping on certain meridian points, it, it sends electrical chemical impulses to targeted regions of the brain. And these uh, transmitters, chemical transmitters, get released. So the energy then begins to flow and the system rebalances. I, you know, I mentioned to you that, it, that the energy gets stuck, the trauma right, gets right. stuck in there. So um, it's, you know, also, Cheryl, it's, it's got a, a, a few advantages. Over psychiatric medications that say mm-hmm. the military or we have given anybody with trauma in the past. And number one, they're non invasive. Number two, it's very highly specific, this work. And number three, it has no side effects. Hmm. So it, it, we see that it helps change the, the uh, behaviors. Um, right, the hyper vigilance, the relief, uh, and overcome of the un- you know the unwanted emotions that come up mm-hmm. in people, the mm-hmm. shame, the anger that we see, the fear, uh, which really interrupts just about everything in one's right. personal life.
3: Right, right, it gets in the way so much that people actually have a hard time functioning on a day to day basis.
4: Exactly, because uh, you know tra- trauma challenges our beliefs and attitudes about personal safety and trust in ourselves and others, and uh, you know a sense of uh, our sense of power or you know helplessness in the world, and that's what we see. Uh, mm-hmm. Very low self esteem coming from these responses. Wow! So when you worked in
3: Uganda, let's say, or Kosovo, Israel, or Syria. Were you using these approaches to help people work through some of their own trauma?
4: Yes. Yes, we sure were. We were um, teaching, uh, you know, simple um, techniques such as uh, using biofeedback, um, drawings, we, uh, we did group work, um, art, art therapy, uh, deep breathing, imagery, meditation, um, dietary change, which helps people to feel more relaxed, more confident, and more fit. And, of course, these things they can do by themselves and uh we had to of course work with uh, their own trauma from the war mm-hmm. immediately mm-hmm. such as in Kosovo um and then they could once they calmed themselves down we would keep going back so every 6 months and uh we would see dramatic changes mm. in in uh how they handled their own Horrible trauma. I mean, just unspeakable trauma yeah. uh, stories that we learned. So um, um, it was just so rewarding, Cheryl, to uh, uh, to do this work, and and of course it was disturbing to me, and I felt fear, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was quite quite challenging. Yet we had de- debriefings uh, every day, and uh, we worked with our own. PTSD when we'd arrived back home in the States. (laughs) Yeah, I bet.
3: It would be hard to leave that behind.
4: Yes, yes. Uh, It was really life-changing. And, you know, I did speak about the shadow and the light, and that really changed uh, Hmm. uh, the way I looked at the world. Right. Well, how long would it
3: take you with someone that you were working with in Uganda I know everybody's different, but in general, how long would it take you to begin to
4: see some change in an individual or some shift? Immediately. Really? Because in Uganda, um, where I'm doing, uh, uh, my husband and I have a project, a uh, non-profit with uh, the Kasisi um, Malaria and healthcare project at mm-hmm. at this hospital in southwest Uganda, which is a bush hospital, so it's sort of out in the middle of of uh, um, you know nowhere, nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, it's um, um it was just so effective with the overworked hmm. staff at this 250 yeah. bed hospital that they were stressed out each time we'd arrive that anything they can learn. And they had no idea mm. about mind-body medicine. Yeah. And just as the Kosovars did not. I mean, they were just taught allopathically, the psychiatrists and all the physicians there and nurses, just to work with um, pharmaceuticals. Mm. And so this to, to have this empowerment happen where they learn to calm their own stress-related uh, disorders what, uh, is just m- remarkable. And uh, in Uganda, uh, because it wasn't the immediate thing like genocide in Kosovo, yeah, we saw it happen immediately within the week that we were teaching. Really? mm mm-hmm.
3: And so when you would go in you would um work with the staff who then in turn you know as caregivers and, and, and who in turn could then turn around and help um their patients. Yes. Did you work directly with the patients also?
4: Well, I did. I worked with um uh, some of the patients. Um again, this is when you go on the wards that <laughs> A vast majority of them are not only suffering from AIDS but from um, malaria and uh, tuberculosis as well wow. so <clears throat> one needs to be quite careful around these infectious yeah. diseases so the the um the values that That I have is to go and teach, so that it then gets passed on, rather than only doing one-on-one work. Mm -hmm. And hence, you know, teaching in groups um, is very, very effective. Teaching these, um, uh, it's fast and it's quick, and Mm -hmm. and uh, you see the results uh, quite, uh, quite early. Quite early, so I noticed it was,
3: as I was reading some of your information about um, why you're working in Africa. Is some of these statistics are pretty staggering, you know. But um, I'm just going to read them here. Sub-Saharan Africa has only 11% of the world's population, but it has 24% of the world's burden of disease, and that includes 64% of the AIDS burden throughout the world. And that is is staggering. It is. And, you know, here is, you know, the real telltale here. Only 3% of the world's health care providers for all of that.
4: Yes.
3: yes. So you you take medical students over there to work in the field. Yes, we do. This this must be life-changing for them.
4: It is, um, and it's so, it changes the way they want to practice medicine. Mm. They, you know, we're, um, we already uh, are bringing a shift from an overwhelming reliance on the inefficiency and, you know, often very ineffective um, uh, caregivers that are dependent De, you know, just dependent on technology and right. the heavy treatment to in uh, use of uh, of this, you know, technology and and pharmaceuticals. So this uh, self awareness and self care that uh, um, they, you know, they're they're just um, blown away by uh, how little support these these people have uh, who are working mm-hmm. in this kind of environment and um, uh, that they know that they can uh, do something different and um, come from a deeper place of compassion and humanity and that, that's how they come back hmm. just um, you know, having that sense of wow uh, this kind of service is the value I want and what's really uh, important in my life. You know, it's not just uh, being a doctor in the ordinary sense um, or having a career that is going to keep me um, financially well off. Right. Right. So I imagine that um, spending
3: time working in uh, the sub-Sahara Africa doesn't pay very well.
4: No, no, but we've got, uh, you know, some of our students want to go back and work Mm -hmm. there uh, Mm -hmm. instead of setting up some lucrative practice here in um, uh, surgery practice or whatever in the U.S.
3: Well, you know, that's fascinating. I, I know a lot of physicians and work with a lot of physicians as clients, and many of them say to me that, You know, what got them into medicine, um, their desire to help and to make a difference in lives um, often fades away the further they get into their career. Not because they don't want to do it anymore, but because so much of the um, medical process these days and some of the bureaucracy and and some of the politics of medicine these days um, just really wears on people,
4: you know, wears on the caregiver, yeah exactly, yeah, you know and most people this world is just so changing all the time at the end of the day, most people want to know if they've really made a difference and contributed Mm -hmm. to the lives of others right, so you know no matter how small or large uh, the act uh, we want it to be meaningful Mm. um, if this Time, uh, We all have an extraordinary opportunity to just expand our identities and open to the possibility of uh, our own self-expression and service in a whole new way.
3: Hmm. Well, th- now that's an interesting topic, expanding our identities and moving into a way of self-expression in a whole new way. Now, that, I'm very curious about that, and we're going to talk more about that when we come right back.
1: What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
2: We appreciate you joining our Leading Conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
3: And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we are speaking with Dr. Christine Hibbard. Christine, we left the last segment with your saying that there's never been a better time to be looking at expanding our own identity and moving into a way of expressing ourselves in a whole new way. We talk about that. What does that mean?
4: Well, you know, if we if we look at what I said about service, just the whole mm-hmm. value of um, um, giving back. You know, we all want to have happy lives, but, uh, you know, is it also uh, important for us in the evolution of where the hu- human being is going to to mm-hmm. have a sense of uh, self, uh, you know, of responsibility to to give back in some way? And uh, I, I feel that that's that's a must in terms of where we are right now, and you not know, just volunteer work alone. Uh, globally, nationally, it's on the rise. And, you know, especially as baby boomers age, and look at ways to make a contribution after retirement, say. Um, they're showing people throughout the world that ordinary people like you and me, that we can share who we are. Mm-hmm. And the talents and skills uh, we can that we've been given, we can, we can use those in some way. Uh, the, Wait. The... Go ahead.
3: So you know I as I hear you say that, I think about people um, in this most recent economic environment, where many people are stretched, many people are um feeling the effects um not everybody, but many many people. And so what tends to happen when when people have that experience is they pull back from volunteering. They pull back from giving because they feel like they don't have as much to give, whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally, or economically. And yet what you're saying is that there you know this is actually a moment in
4: history that it might be the best time. Exactly. You know, the, the poor in developing countries uh, tend to be enslaved, uh, if you will, by their struggle for subsistence. Yet in you know, the more affluent, affluent, like in our country, tend to be bound to their material possessions. Hmm. So, you know, here, here we're, we ask the question, so how do we more fully appreciate the value of life? Hmm. And um, uh, I feel that just the volunteer work is on the rise, hmm. and uh, people do want to give back in, in spite of what you say is true, that uh, fear takes over when we, we all do have less. Right. So, um here we're, you know, we'll see. <laughs> right, right. You know, I, I as I'm
3: hearing you say this about volunteerism being on the rise, what I what it makes me think of is that um I'm noticing a lot of young people, people who are graduating from college and looking around and saying, you know, what's next? What matters to me? And um some of them are saying, you know, well, the job market isn't that exciting or there isn't that much that I want to do. And so they are, you know, taking on projects somewhere in the world and um, and just saying, you know, I'm going to go for a year. I'm just going to go and see what happens. And, and very often they get um, kind of enamored with the idea of this kind of work and they stay. Um, and I, I believe this is affecting this whole generation, um, yes. you know, coming up. And so it makes me think about, you know, so what will this generation look like as they age? You know, what will their life be? Where will the, What will their values be? Um, and, you know, how will this affect the world? How will this affect the U.S. economy? You know, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that?
4: Well, yes. I mean, here we have the direct experience of just with our own, uh, my husband's, and my own three children. But um, like you say, many more people are doing this, and with our um, medical students are wanting this. And I, I think what's going on here is that we all need to attend to ourselves with a lot more compassion and mercy, Mm -hmm. and. Because then more healing is is available to others, and this is what um this is the direction that uh I feel we're we're going in terms of evolving as mm. uh as a human uh race and the effects of healing and particularly the uh the subtle energies they they don't they don't happen at the level that scientists can comfortably measure. Mm-hmm. So by going out and doing these uh, different acts um, of service, we, we know that this, this love and in, intention for that, that's what really shapes our lives and mm-hmm. is shaping the young people's lives today.
3: So uh, you said we really need to be attending to ourselves with more compassion and mercy.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Tell us how one does that.
4: <laughs> well, uh that was one of the biggest uh, lessons uh for me in my life. Mm-hmm. And to um <laughs> uh it's one of the 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 best things I learned from going overseas and mm-hmm. uh even though I've been in this field of psychology for 30 years, uh It's still one of the main lessons for me has been to be Mm -hmm. able to receive from others uh, and from life just with grace. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, to give without having expectations and attachments to results. So the more compassion I feel for others who are out there at a subsistence level, like in third world countries in uh, the more compassion i can feel for myself and for others mm. when, I, when mm. I come home mm. and uh it's it's a beautiful thing for for me as well as anybody else that returns uh from this kind of service work
3: mm. well you know I, I i think people have a hard time defining what compassion really is you know, I talk with my clients about compassion, feeling compassion for others, feeling compassion for self, and so often the first question they ask is, well, what is compassion really? And how do you do that?
4: Well, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good question. It's like really uh, being there for ourselves and others without this expectation of of having a, a result, um, um, a, you know, an attachment to that. Mm. We certainly have an expectation of having results that are healing, but not an attachment to that. And with that comes a letting go, a softening, that we learn, um, uh, to, you know, to use this, um Know, our hearts need to be large enough as leaders to match the to match the breath of our own souls and to give us souls strong enough to follow leaders of, of vision and wisdom so that kind of um, attending to ourselves uh, without the harshness of these attachments to results is very very important to be able to give Uh, without that uh, was a huge lesson for me. Mm Hmm.
3: So do you teach that to um, some of the people you work with that are in these war-torn countries, how they need to be compassionate with themselves? Absolutely.
4: Absolutely, yeah. And uh, out of that, they they begin to heal. Mm Hmm.
3: So if you were to um, tell somebody who, you know, has not been in a war-torn country, has not had major trauma in their lives, who has, um, you know, a very busy life and, you know, things are, you know, fairly stable and, you know, they don't have a lot of stress around economics um they just you know work a lot and have family and have responsibilities and and yet what you see is um there's not a lot of of joy there you know they seem to be going through the motions um would you counsel them on being compassionate with self yes uh
4: I would and uh you know, I, I. This is one of the tasks, Cheryl, with the, you know, this new millennium that we're in. It, uh, it's a task of blending our feminine tenderness, um, no matter what circumstances are going on in our lives, with our masculine strength, mm. and blending that into every level of our being, mm. um, and. When we blend these qualities, we're able to balance power with love, with joy, with achievement, with sustainability, um, and to use our intellect with with much more wisdom. Now the question is, um, which you really are bringing up, is how many people are willing to do that Mm inner work? Mm hmm uh, but this this feminine archetype that 's embracing all of us and uh the masculine of moving forward um we we uh we need to value both uh equally and um you know we don't we don't get rid of one thing to become more whole and replace it with another Yeah. Uh, so um this is a very, very important work.
3: Well, and in our culture, at least in the U.S., Western culture, um, the masculine energy is um, ha- is considered um, what drives success, and and there's been a lot of conversation in the last you know 20 years or so about um, you know bringing more of the feminine into leadership, for instance, and um, you know I I think that that conversation is actually has Been had in the wrong way I think that what you're pointing out is that the blending is what has to happen the blending is where we can have the um, compassion for self and compassion for others while we are being strong in um, making things happen and getting things done and that actually the blending is where the um, critical intersection is
4: exactly um you know a lot of uh, men uh I, I think are discredited in many ways aware that that sometimes it's it's the notion that uh they don't include respectful listening as leaders and uh you know the the typical attributes of the feminine like loving and co- collaboration with others. Mm-hmm. And um, so you know, we're all learning to uh, to blend these qualities. And I've always taken a stand for uh, appreciating more directly the feminine value system <clears throat> in um, in this this still mostly patriarchal culture. Right. But uh, and of course, you and I grew up in that. Uh, but I what I learned, Cheryl, is I didn't need to be like a man, quote-unquote, powerful or courageous or intelligent, but uh, I did have to embrace in myself my feminine values of emotional wisdom, deep feelings of this connectedness, compassion, and empathy in order to be strong enough Mm -hmm. uh, to sort of like erode my own tolerance for this culture. (laughs)
3: Right, right. Well, Christine, we are out of time. And this has been a wonderful conversation with you this morning. And I know that people will be interested in learning more about you and your work. Where can they
4: find you? Oh, well, they can find me at uh, my website, Christine Hibbard, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Hibbard, H-I-B-B-A-R-D, dot org.
3: Great. Well, Christine, you are an inspiration to all of us and and a reminder that uh, we can help others and, more importantly, we can help ourselves first in order to be able to serve. So thanks for being with us today, Chris, and I'd like to have you back again. We can talk more about this.
4: I would love to, and thank you so much for asking me, Cheryl.
3: And remember, everyone, to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito.
2: leadership is not static it evolves as you do at alexa consulting we work with ceos senior leaders and leaders in transition who want to make a difference leaders who believe that good business is good for people good for the world and knows that conscious actions can have global impact are you ready to take your leadership to the next level if you are then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com that's www.a l e x a c o n s u l t i n g.com alexa